podcasting from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, known as the City of Bridges. This is Knights of the Revolutionary Leader, conversations of influence and change. I am your host, Christy Knights, C-suite executive coach, expert witness, psychotherapist, professional speaker, and best-selling author, the revolutionary leader in business and life. I am so grateful for you and for the time that you have taken to just sit and share space with my friend. Today, I'm joined by a hero, a person who has lived through life difficulties just like you, and they now have risen to a place of service to others and living a life of joy. She is here to share her story, and in true hero form, she will share with you what she has experienced in life as well as the struggles and the rise. So let me introduce you. Meet Heather Ferrari. Heather is a trauma practitioner, Kundalini Yoga Certified Levels 1 and 2. Did I get that right, Heather? (laughs) You did. You did. Good job. Dance therapist, Reiki master, and mystic healer and advisor. Heather has worked with doctors and psychiatrists in the integrative mental health field to develop mind-body protocols for trauma, OCD, PTSD, and other anxiety mood afflictions. Very exciting to know, her book, Victim to Victory, Healing Generational Abuse Through the Bloodline, is being published with Christian Faith. To learn more about her background, I want you to head over to her website, which is www.heatherfaree.com, and we will share that again later in the episode. Welcome, Heather. Thank you. I just wanted to let you know, my last name is actually pronounced Fairy. Fairy. In a fairy. Oh, I yes. love it. I apologize. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yes. Yeah. Very good. Thank you. So how are you doing today? Oh, I'm well. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So Heather, as you're joining us today, talk to me a little bit about your life story and, and what brought you to this place of a trauma practitioner. Well, I never thought I would be a trauma practitioner. Um, I grew up in the average American household. And unfortunately, when I was eight years old, my mother switched mental states Mm. and began choking me every morning on a regular basis um, for a long time. So I suffered from a lot of mental and health um, issues. Um, And then I used dance and theater growing up as a means uh, of therapy to me, but also as a means of survival because my my mother wanted to do those things. Um, And so I really didn't have like a normal upbringing. I spent a lot of time in the studio training. mm -hmm. And and then I went to New York City and and I had what some would say is an exciting career and and journey, but I was depressed all the time Mm -hmm. because I wasn't really my authentic self. Um, And then I started to, um, God started to lead me into healers. And I started to meet my healers, which I talk about in my book. And through that journey, I realized um, I was being taught how to heal trauma. So Heather, you know, we were jumping right in and I appreciate that. Share with me, you know, what shift did you see in mom whenever you were younger? What caused that shift? It's interesting when you're a child, your lens is so different. And so for me, I loved and adored my mother, but I, I knew at a pretty young age, I would say around five, that she was unhappy. Um, I don't know what switched her mental states. I know that she was abused severely. 
I know that this is generational and having studied that literature, you know, even just the time and the place and the age can be consistent. Um, but I know that once she switched, I never really got mommy back. You know, I, there was this other person that um, just was not happy and, and a rageaholic. And that was devastating to me because it was kind of like, well, what just happened? You know, right. Right. And I think that that's part of, you know, the question is oftentimes we see a, a trauma that triggers this or something occurs and just that uncertainty, that unpredictability that life changed for you dramatically without any, you know, notice is even more traumatizing. So at that time, you know, can you share with us what was the family dynamic? Siblings, father, Yes. Um, the family dynamic is I had a brother three years older who I adored. I would consider him my angel um, in the household. So we played together. He, uh, he was my teacher, probably played roles of mommy and daddy with me. Um, and my father was depressed a lot, very quiet at home. Also came from abuse from what I learned later on um, as I was researching. And uh, both of my parents were different at home than they were in the outside world. So okay. that taught me things too of, well, when I go in the outside world, I'm going to put my mask on and I'm going to pretend like everything's fine, you know, but when I'm home, I'm seeing a different person. So that was confusing as a child to me because I was like, I took it personally. I took their depressions and their issues personally. Yes, yes. How did you cope at such a young age with what was going on at home, mom choking you, the unpredictability? I think I coped because of my brother's love. Mm. I think if he had not been in the household, it might have been a different scenario. Okay. Yes. And I also think that um, when I was going to school, uh, specifically from eighth grade to ninth grade, I was introduced to uh, a student two years younger than me from the other side of the tracks. When I say the other side of the tracks, you know, this is, uh, gosh, I'm 46 now. So this is years that we're going back. Um, you know, it was a little bit of, of, a, of a racial tension in our school at the time. And it was a black girl that would never have hung out with me. But she became my friend and we had secret letters. And her letters were all about Jesus, God, and my life. So I was very gifted for her um, presence and her ability to see me. And then at some point through the years, uh, maybe 10th, 11th grade, I did share a little bit of my household pain because everybody at school thought I was the perfect girl. You know, I came in, you know, looking good and, you know, I put on the smile and the show. Yeah. So those two people, I think, were very, very pivotal in keeping me alive. Yeah. Oh, that is so powerful. Something you said was she could see me. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about the impact of being able to feel seen by somebody during those days. It almost makes me want to cry. Um, there's just something very powerful when you look into somebody's eyes and they really know you. And I could tell when she would put her mask on too. Mm -hmm. I knew that I didn't know to some extent that she was going through her own struggles because I had a lot of brain damage. You know, okay. so I, I had a lot of, I was really limited in my perceptions at that point. Okay. I was in survival mode and 
I was just going to be the best dancer performer. And I was just trying to get through school uh, the best I could, but I really didn't trust anyone. And I really didn't allow anyone to see my authentic self. There was some sort of soul connection with her that allowed me to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And just that impact of being seen gave you that safe place with her. Yes. If it was glimpses, it was more to sustain. Absolutely. Right. We had moments where we were, I remember um, my senior year, my last chorus concert, we were in this little room. Uh, I remember the instruments and we were hugging and crying. We had intimate little moments where no one knew how close we were. Wow. And through those dark times, I hear that you also reached out to God. She shared God with you. She shared God all the time. I have to say, though, I didn't believe in God. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really believe in what she was writing to me. She saw my light, but I did not see my light. Ah, I was too broken at that point. Mm -hmm. So I was taking it in, but I wasn't taking it in all the way. But it was seeds planted, definitely planted for my future. When I look back, I think to myself, wow, God is really amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Do you believe the light that she was shining, she was able to do that because of God and able to see your light because of God? Yeah, she was really grounded from her family roots and religion, you know, and she's a religious figure as as an adult now. So, and and actually my other best friend uh, from high school is too. So it's interesting, the two people that, I surrounded myself with had a lot of understanding of there's more to life than just the people here. Yes. Yes. So you said you didn't believe at that time. Is that to say you weren't raised then in the church? Oh, that's interesting. I was raised in the church, Catholic church, and I did go to church every weekend with my grandparents. My grandparents were also very, um, when you, you hear this a lot in, in abuse cases, they were wonderful. So going on, away on the weekends with them was like heaven. It was a safe mm-hmm. place, safe haven. Mm-hmm. And they would take me to church. That was a ritual for them. They were very disciplined. And even though it didn't have much meaning to me, I respected their ritual which then later planted again those seeds. So take us through high school. What was it like, you know, those senior, you know, junior, senior year? How were you doing at that point? I think I was frozen. Mm, I think I was numb. Yes. Um, I think I was completely, I would say, like fake and masked. And I was just going through the motions, just trying to figure out uh, how I was going to survive. Mm-hmm. How, and I didn't think the world was going to be any different, to be honest with you. Like, I didn't think, oh, I'm going to leave home and it's going to be better. Okay. I think partly of that, I just discovered this recently. I mm-hmm. just shared this for the first time. It's not in my book, but I used to walk across the street before going to school and meet a girl. We would go to school together. And unfortunately, I would sit there. Um, right at the door. And her mother was very abusive to her in front of me. So she was verbal, uh, physical. And so I think having my mother and then seeing this mother act, I think in my brain, I thought this is how mothers behave. Yes. This is normal. Right. Because you had not seen any different Mm -hmm. at that point, you know, as an expert in trauma, what causes someone to go into that place of of numbness, of wearing the masks? What, What causes that? Well, it's interesting because 
when somebody comes to me with trauma, I don't listen to much of their story. Mm, I listen to what's the problem right now, whether it's a physical, I have cancer, I have an autoimmune, I have hormones, I have horrible relationships. I have, so my approach to healing them right off the bat is the less I know, the better off I am as a, as, as sort of a practitioner. I call myself a practitioner because they actually, my clients have homework and they have work to do. Yes. So I don't just put my hands on your head. I've had miracle healings, but I, you know, they in themselves, I had to recover from. Mm-hmm. I do the Kundalini brain protocols. The childhood trauma brain protocol is amazing. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I just pick whichever with the PTSD, OCD, whichever I feel is the first thing that's going to open the door to what they need to get out of their wiring and connective tissues to start healing. And um, after so many years, it's, you know, for me, I was a long healing journey because I, I, I t- did a lot of outside the box things. This didn't work. This worked. This didn't work. And now, you know, when somebody comes to me three to six months, if they're focused and they're going to do the homework, they literally leave with a new mind. So rewarding knowing where, you know, you have traveled your journey. So you shared that, you know, in high school, you didn't think there was anything different. You didn't picture moving out, getting away. So when did that transition begin to happen for you when you Mm -hmm. left home? Well, I was ambitious about, I wanted to go to New York and I wanted to be a star. I was very driven and I was skilled and talented, but the drive was coming from the ego. Mm -hmm. The drive was coming from a place of this is where I'm going to get my love. And that just doesn't work. So, you know, I get to New York and I'm starting to be successful and I'm around a lot of people who are successful and they're not happy. So now I'm starting to take notes and I'm like, okay, these people aren't happy, but they have money or they have status. What am I supposed to do here? Like, I thought this was going to fix this. This is it. Yeah. Yeah, This isn't going to fix this. Oh, no. You know, I I think the first, I was very sick uh, after a job when I was 24 and a half. And that sickness, I had to go back to Pittsburgh and um, I was in bed for about a month. They couldn't figure out what I had. I, I call it like a spiritual sickness, a dying almost. And Jesus came through in that healing. And he asked me, he said, um, and it's interesting because I didn't think about Jesus up to that point or the Bible or anything, yes. but I was in so much pain, uh, 24 seven that I started thinking about his pain on the cross. Mm. And then the next night he came in and visited me and he basically said, you know, you can come with me or you can stay, but if you stay, things are going to be difficult for a while. And that's really was the pivotal moment. And I, I'm a, now know I'm a warrior. I, you know, I'm really strong and I was like, I'm going to stay. Now I, I joke about it. If I had known it was going to be 20 years of difficult maybe. Well, because you know, right. <laughs> I think sometimes people think that, you know, the healing process is, uh, is fast. You know? Right. <laughs> yes. So when you returned to Pittsburgh, did you return home into your parents' home? Yes. Wow. And what that was, was it a, like going back into their home? Um, well, I was still very, when at that time period, I was so sick. I mean, I was so sick. And I was actually had some amnesia at that point. Okay. Wow. From, 
from from the memories of the choking. So, I, you know, but so, yeah, here I'm in this bed in my bedroom, mm. dying again and really seeing the scenario, the vanity and, and all of that coming to full circle. And then and then Jesus appearing that that really was the big turning point in my life. Wow. And did your mom and dad welcome you home or? Sure. Yes. Good. Good. Yes. What was yeah. your relationship like with them at that point? I think I was more of their therapist, healer. Okay. Taking care of everybody's needs all the time. I think that that was my job in general. Okay. So yeah. I didn't really, ha I didn't have a voice. Mm. Um, I didn't have an opinion. Uh, and that when I started to break that role pattern is when there started to become problems. Mm. Many people who look at religion or feel like they've lost in mental illness or struggles in life, they want Jesus to appear. They'll come to my office and share, like, I'm just looking for him to appear to me. And so many people feel that frustration when they don't experience it. And part of what I, I share with them is you need to be more peaceful, more quiet. You need to understand who you are because he comes to you in multiple ways. You're just not ready or not hearing because of the, you know, the brokenness. So, you know, what a, an amazing experience for you to have. And, and you say that's your turning point. So from that place, where did you then go? Yeah. So from that place on, I started to be led to seeing healers, different types of healers. And I wouldn't, they didn't necessarily label themselves as healers, mm -hmm. massage therapist that deals with shiatsu pressure points, mm -hmm. but it was really the person, the energy, his approach, you know, these people were healers. They just didn't define themselves that way. Um, but looking back, I believe in my point of view, um, and they each offered very important things. And what was really special, I, I have been very blessed to attract master teachers through my life, whether it was dance or yoga or, or these healings as that when I was, when the work was done, the, the teacher would say, we're done. You know, whether it was four months or it would just be, and sometimes I wasn't ready to leave, but they were like, it's done. Our work here is done. And I really respect that because having worked with private clients, you know, a lot of them have been investing for years, 20, 30, 40 years, doing the same things over and over again. And I usually say, you know, within the first month, if you're, if this is not connecting, you're going to know. You're going to know, and you're, we're going to need to guide you somewhere where you're, you're, you're planted. So with Jesus, um, it didn't happen overnight for me. Yeah, I, yeah. I was a hard student, um, <laughs> but I would say I had a lot of brain damage. I, I had a lot of brain damage, and that really affected my ability to believe, my, affected my ability to think positively. I had a lot of negative mind reprogramming to do. But throughout my book, it's funny, um, I didn't plan on Christian Faith publishing my book. I was shopping for publishers. It's a very hard industry. And I got fed up. You know, I've been working on this for many years, not because I wanted it, because I was told I was supposed to do it. I prayed at my computer. And then when I put, went into Google, Christian Faith came up. Wow. I looked at them and I thought, and I read about Jesus. And I thought they won't be interested in my book. It's a little metaphysical outside the box. I already shut down the door. Okay. And then I was like, but why are you doing that? Just respond. Mm -hmm. 
And that's where that came in. And that, and so then when I read my book after I submitted it, I was like, there's a lot of Jesus is in my whole book. Oh my God. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> like, you know how sometimes you just really don't even know your own life. Absolutely. You study it, you're like, oh my gosh, yes. he shows up here and he shows up here and he shows up here. But what I will say to people is that I had, um, I mean, I was in so much pain when I was pulling out the trauma that I was desperate. I was desperate. And I had a friend take me to um, a pastor who was a healer. Mm-hmm. And I was very cautious and skeptic and sitting in, you know, and just and, and the irony is, is he was at the, a little church that my grandparents lived right beside. Mm-hmm. Out of all the churches in the neighborhood, this is where I'm going. Yes. So that's like my life story. It's like, just like, oh my God. And we're sitting there and I'm like, I'm not sure if I believe in this man, Billy Burke, who's pretty famous. Then all of a sudden he does a healing with somebody who has a stroke. Well, I had been working with stroke clients and okay. I knew how hard it was to recover from speech. And so watching this older man who couldn't speak and then 15 minutes later is speaking, I'm sitting there like, eh, there's something to this. Right. You know? right. And then I go up and I, I have my own experience and the shaking and convulsions, that's actually accurate. That happens. And I, I was on the floor Yes. and I had a healing, but I thought, oh, I'm going to be better. Hmm. And uh, the next week and the next week I got sicker and sicker. And I thought to myself, I thought, I thought Jesus was healing me. And why am I getting sicker? And some, you know, people without knowing it or understanding the healing was like, well, you're not believing. And it made me feel bad. Gosh, and I was good. like, I am believing. I showed up. I put myself on the line. And then I'm feeling this. And I was angry at God and Jesus for a while because I was so sick. Mm-hmm. I, I turned away from them. And then I don't know what it was in that sickness, but as I was pulling out the trauma, there was a psychology that was changing. Okay. There was a psychology and thought process that you don't get in a second. When you're abused for a long time, you can't change the psychology in a day. Yes. And I realized they were teaching me how to do that slowly, that it wasn't going to be, I put your hands there and you're healed because then you might still be the same person with the same behavioral patterns. Yes. yes. And then I realized the gift that they gave me and I was grateful and I, I turned my energy back to Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I share that cause I, it's, everybody's going to have their own personal journey. Yes. And, and sometimes you think, Oh, I'm praying for healing and I'm feeling worse. Well, sometimes you're feeling worse because they're working on you. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I do not believe in coincidences, right? I believe that we come together for a reason. And it was just, it's funny, Heather, I had signed a contract with Zulon Press, which is a Christian-based publisher, in 2011. Did nothing with it. For a long time, I just felt like, you know, the books won't sell in the Christian arena. You know, it doesn't really represent who I am. And I let it sit. And just two weeks ago, I'm finishing a book. And I said, okay, God, you've got to tell me, like, where do I go with this book? I own a publishing house or do I submit it to them? And it became clear that I need to submit to his plan and send it to Zulon Press 
rather than my own publishing, that it's not about me, you know, and you and I are brought together with this similar story, which is such a demonstration, I think, to our audience that God has a plan, right? Mm -hmm. God has a plan for each of us. Whatever that may look like will be different. It's about listening and being obedient. So, you know, Heather, such a beautiful story that you're sharing as you're beginning to heal, how do you take those first steps to trust in that plan? That's a really, I, I don't want to give just any answer to that because that's, I think for me, because I was so sick, mm-hmm. I mean, I went through two years, this was only about five years ago, so I went oh, through two years where I was, all the trauma was pulling, I couldn't walk at one point, I couldn't, I think, and uh, people abandoned me, people lied about me, I mean, I really experienced some of Jesus's yeah. experiences as we all do. Everybody does. The first thing I have to say is in your darkest hour, whether you're sick, you're going through depression, the fact that you wake up and you get out of bed is the bravest thing that you can do. That's the first thing. And then each step you take in that day, whether you believe or not, Jesus God are with you. You're taking them. So for me, everybody abandoned me. Everybody left. I'm sick. I'm getting better. I realized what they were teaching me. They were teaching me about self-love. No one can give that to you. You can't buy it. You can't get it from someone else. I didn't have it. It was taken from me and I had to get it back. So I could have stayed in bed all day depressed. I could have stayed in bed, chronic pain, but the warrior in me, the person that said, you know what? I'm not going to be what other people say. I'm going to rewrite. I'm going to rewrite my story, my life, get up every day. And I think it's not that I trusted. I think it was partly like, I'm going to do this and just see what happens. It's like jumping off the cliff. Like I have nothing to lose at this point. You know what I mean? And so I'm going to just take a turn and I'm just going to keep walking forward and see what happens. And each step I took forward, it got a little easier and a little easier. It's a slow process depending on a person's situation. For me, it was slow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think oftentimes people want to rush it and that's part of the issue. So I agree. I think that it just is a slow pace. It's God's pace. It's not ours. During that time, were you ever suicidal or had suicidal thoughts? I did. Yes. I was definitely suicidal uh, because the pain was so much and I didn't want to do drugs. I didn't want to be a drug addict. I was like, I'm either going to just, I'm either going to get this pain out of me or, you know, but the moment that I hit, um, I would say rock bottom, there's a couple things. The first thing that came to me was I knew if I had committed suicide that the lie in the show would live on. My mother would be at the funeral and she would paint this picture. Heather's depressed. She's always depressed. She just couldn't get it together. She was lost in who she was. And the truth would have come out of who I really was. Wow, that's powerful. And I wanted the light to win. And I felt if I left, the dark was going to win. Not to say that my mom's a bad person. I love her to death, and, but it just is what it is. And then the second thing is my book, um, you know, it comes out next week, but I, I, have, I know, yeah, 
but I've, I've had a lot of people read it um, before it was published because I'm, I'm, I'm really about helping people, not really about, you know, me. But I, I'm working with a teenager, a 13-year-old, uh, who's very higher conscious. And I think that generation has a lot to offer. And I'm a little bit of a mentoring her. But I had, you know, she read my book because we were going to do some YouTube videos. Okay. This is a 13-year-old. I, I asked her, what did you get from the book? Mm-hmm. And she said, well, she said, first of all, I was like, wow, at the end, I had no idea. Cause she's known me for many years. I had no idea the struggles you went through. But she said, I think it's interesting that suicide was not an option for you. Mm. And I said, really? What, how did you? She said, well, you go through hardship after hardship after hardship. But somehow you knew you had a purpose. You knew that there was a reason to get out of this mess. And that reason was, is to bring these sciences that I feel help trauma to the mental health care system. And she said, I wonder if kids who are suicidal, if they could have a purpose behind their situation, that they could then see the situation differently. And I, that just, I, I had no idea. <laughs> so I was like, okay. <laughs> Such wisdom from a 13 year old. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good. So mm-hmm. through this process, what were some of the stumbling blocks you ran into healing? So I think some of the stumbling blo- blocks for me was I didn't trust because I, God was handing me, a, I didn't plan on having a private practice. It just happened one day. I went from Kundalini yoga teacher to private practice mm-hmm. and I'm getting trauma to teach me, obviously the mirror and all that. I think the resources are limited. I think we have to redefine our, our mental health care system in some ways. Yes. Um, I think we have to have a lot of conversation about that. So I was really hesitant to go anywhere. I didn't want to have pills and I didn't want to have like a label. Yes. Um, I really wanted to, I really believed there was a way to rewire and fix my brain. So I think finding the resources um, and, and so I had to go outside the box and find healers who were either physical therapists who did Peter Levine, you know, stuff or, but people who had a healing component to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I, in my two year healing crisis, uh, some people in the spiritual world call it the dark night of the soul. I couldn't find anyone. Okay. And then I had to, to start relying on the ice channel Jesus now. So I had to rely on Jesus. And then I, it's funny, the Kundalini brain protocol for PTSD, mm-hmm. you know, these are things that I wasn't taught in my Kundalini yoga training. This is a whole other library of information that's mm-hmm. not being utilized much in the United States. Yes. I somehow pull it out and teach me because my PTSD was off the charts. And in two days, it was completely gone. Like we're not talking like a Band-Aid. We're talking gone. Yes, that is fabulous. Yeah. Wow. Unheard so, of, Heather. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like I had to, there were definitely outside the box resources I used. And then there was a point where I had to go in and they're telling me, okay, you've got to use this. You've got to use that. I don't know how much, I don't know if you know. So one of the sources too is Kangen water. Yeah, oh yes. I, I love Kangen water. Yep, I've got a dear friend who sells. Yeah, yeah. Yes. That was a huge, and if people knew how much of that I was drinking, they would go, I can't believe it. Cause I was just, it was just that healing water really provides 
your, it, it breaks everything up inside and allows you to emotionally get what you need out. Right, right. So for our audience, can you explain those two terms, Kondalina yoga and the Congo water from perspective? Sure. I don't know enough of it to. That's okay. So <laughs> Kundalini, that's okay. Yeah. Kundalini yoga is the highest form of yoga. There's 22 forms of yoga. So unfortunately, in the United States, the, the challenges is we've made up over 200 for financial profit. So I think that a lot of people don't actually know what yoga is. Yeah. And that's the challenge that I face in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, is a lot of times the yogas here are very physical exercise oriented without any science behind them. So kundalini yoga sets are very beneficial for medical reasons. And there's a lot of medical science behind them. That's actually why I attract a lot of doctors and psychiatrists in my practice. Um, you can do a liver set. You can do a metabolism set or hormonal set. So you have, you're working the physical body. You're working the mental, spiritual. And we use those words in exercise, but a lot of times they don't mean that. Yeah. This, this really incorporates all of those things. The brain protocols, like I said, are separate. When you're trained as a, a yoga teacher, you don't study the brain protocols. The man who um, developed these was uh, a student of the master Yogi Bhajan, who handed him all of this literature. And he's um, a psychiatrist in Los Angeles, does a lot of research. So a lot of our brain protocols have clinical research. Mm, that's great. Yeah. And, and so those are the things that I utilize the most um, in my practice. And I just intuitively use my intuition on some times and lengths of different meditations and stuff. So um, I really, really, really want to see these brain protocols in our mental health care system. I yeah. really, that's like a real big mission in my life to bring that to the table. Um, and then the second... Um, Kanga Water came to me from a student six years ago, and two weeks prior, I was meditating and asking God, why does everybody have cancer? Because I, I lost somebody very dear uh, from, from cancer. I was affected by it, and I got the water is bad. So I wrote in my journal, and then two weeks later, I get a student. This is, if you read my book, this is literally how my life, I mean, it's just, I just, it's just like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. Okay, okay. Right. What the so I asked her, you know, what do you do for a living? As I ask all my students. And she said, I work for a Japanese company. And she mentioned water, cancer, medical device. And I was like, I got to pay attention. So I started drinking the water as an experiment because I'm more about experience. Yeah. I, and being intuitive, you know, a lot of times <laughs> the only problem I have with psychologists and psychiatrists is they always want to know every little detail, like explain this. And I'm like, you can read that book, but I want you to have an experience. Right. right. go right. into the experience of it because I can't do both channels. Like, right. <laughs> so it's so real interesting. But, um, but yeah, I started drinking it. I have a genetic red blood cell disorder, thalassemia. Mm -hmm. and, um, and it's caused me some underlying issues. Obviously, the trauma was not helpful. So I noticed a really big change in two months. So I bought the device for me because I thought this is for my health, my healing. And then immediately my clients were like, I, I want the water. I want the water. So I got into a business that I had never planned on. Yes. <laughs> but I have seen some really amazing things with the water. And what I'm excited about is I've gotten two Western doctors in Pittsburgh this year on board. Wow. They're That's outside exciting. the box. They've left the system. 
They have their private practices now, but they're actually doing their own research and documentation with it. Mm-hmm. So I think down the road, we if we can implant that also into mental health care system clinics, uh, we you know we are mostly water. Our brains are mostly yes. water. Mm-hmm. So not why not have just not only the best but water in the first thirty six hours that has healing properties. Yeah, and you absolutely. can't explain that to people. You have to just I just say just drink the water. Right. <laughs> and if right. you don't like it, you don't have to ever drink it again. Yes. But usually they come back and they have a story and I'm like, I know. (laughs) Yeah, again, experiential. Um, I have a dear friend who sells the machines and he's here in the Pittsburgh area as well. Um, And she is approaching places like gyms for juice bars, et cetera. Right. um, And drops off a gallon to me about once a week. She'll drop it off. She's like, I know, just drink it. So I don't like her. Yes, yes. I'll have to connect the two of you. You really do need to connect us because we can team up. In San Diego and Los Angeles, this is just everyone, you know, all the practitioners and all the healers. And and we just, um, yeah, I always say, Pittsburgh's just a little behind. I love you. I love you so much. But (laughs) yes, and that's what she says too about the water that she just hasn't been able to to really give it the oomph that it needs, that Pittsburgh needs, you know? So I'll definitely connect the two of you, but you know, as you share your story and as you're unfolding your story, so share with us how you moved into, you know, a full-time practice, writing your book, what services you offer so that others could take advantage um, of of those services. Sure. Sure. Like I said, again, I never um, thought I would, be a full-time practice so that, that is just god-led that is so god-led um when i so my book is coming out next week and i guess the best way if people are interested in reading victim to victory is to just log on to my website and right. shoot me an email and i can send them a link as okay. soon as it comes out so we we start with amazon and we work our way up yep. um as far as like writing my book i wrote it from 4 to 7 a.m for a year I woke up and channeled it through the masters. And so one thing that Kundalini yoga helps is with creativity. Mm. So I help a lot of people with career change too. Okay. Yes. And and really finding their authentic skills and their creativity. And I've helped a few people write books. So through that creativity. So that's, that's one thing. As far as my private practice, I have a studio in Crafton. Yes. I also Skype. I do the online thing with people who can't, either literally get to the studio and depending on like, like my stroke clients, I prefer Skype so that the brain work is exhausting for them. So they need to eat afterwards, you know, and and stuff like that. Um, They can go on my website again and sort of look at my resume and and see if I'm a feel. And the one thing I wanted to offer people that were listening to you today is um, a $25 coupon for an introductory session. So as long as they let, let me know that they, they heard it from you and, and, um, and that could be as long as Kundalini yoga or brain work or even Reiki energy work. Um, there's a, there's a lot of family things I end up doing. I was, because I was a professional dancer and Pilates certified. Sometimes I end up working physically on people too, that, mm-hmm. that have trouble losing weight. Kundalini yoga has two amazing and they're really short sets for metabolism that allow people it's it's because it has science behind it it's not like an extra exercise fad it's working on really detoxing the blood 
Mm. And you're balancing your hormonal system. So people lose weight in 40 days and they keep it off because when you're balancing the hormones, they're not craving the sugar. Yes, much more impactful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good. So, you know, being a warrior, being a, <laughs> being a hero, what does it look like for you day to day to stay healthy? What tips can you give our audience to stay healthy? Well, what I learned after my two-year healing crisis is before that, I was a workaholic. Mm, okay. So I have set boundaries. Yes. I only work so many hours per day, and I only work with so much trauma. Mm. So I work with other clients and other things, issues, right. because the trauma is, it's, it's a lot of work, especially if I'm channeling Christ. It can yes. be exhausting, you know. Um, so I've set um, and, and so I, I take my self-care actually very seriously now because I was so sick. And so some of the things I do is I wake up, I drink two glasses of water right away. Um, I take a cold shower, which seems really crazy. It's a yogi thing. Um, and I scrub my skin because it gets the blood and capillaries and, the, and everything flowing. So if there's health benefits to it, um, especially if you're sore all the time or exhausted um, it helps with your nervous system. I obviously do a meditation practice, but I tell people, you know, if you've never done it before, doing something three minutes a day, just yeah. starting a habit is a good thing. And then at night, going, you know, to the end of the day, I shut my cell phone off. Usually I try to by 8 p.m. People have to find me. They're going to have to find me the next day. I, um, I usually do a bath ritual Mm -hmm. I, I have salts and sometimes it, it, with cleaning me, I'm not just cleaning me, I'm cleaning off the energy yes. of people, negative energy that, that comes into our aura and, our, and, and just really saying, release this, take care of this. And I just try to do something relaxing or fun. You know, I might want to try comedy or something before I go to bed. Yes. Yes. Good. One of the most common issues that people have is negative self-talk. That inner dialogue is just destructive. So what is a way that you battle your negative self-talk? I used to probably only have a negative mind. So I spent yeah. a lot of my life with the only the tape recorder of a negative mind. And now I, I don't really have a negative mind. So what I would say is train your mind in some way. Find some sort of training every day. I am biased. I like the Kundalini meditations. I have found them to be more productive. You know, in my third twenties and thirties, I, I write about this in my book and it's just, I hear it from a lot of my clients. You can read all the positive stuff in the world, but if you're hardwiring, your brain actually has damage, then we've got to heal that and fix that. And you'd be surprised. I have gentlemen in their sixties who come to me with concussions that were healed properly in the sports field okay. that hinder them in either their mm. behavioral patterns or, and, and so I, you know, the kind of water, some of the brain work changes them completely. And it's just, it's, it's simple stuff, you know, that can make an impact fast. Yes. I also think that it, some people benefit from writing a couple things about themselves and just seeing it every day and reminding themselves or getting a picture, like when I was really sick and really down on myself, I found a picture when I was uh, probably four or five years old and I had all this light and joy. And I was like, I want to get back to that. Mm -hmm. 
So that I set that intention. I want to get back to that light and that joy and that carefreeness because I find too, like a lot of people are working so hard and missing out on the little things in life. So if you had to write a thank you letter to someone or a few people, who would they be and why? I think that I would write a thank you letter to that. Um, I'm going to use her name. I'm going to use the name I use in my book, Frida, uh, in chapter one, that, that little girl growing up that counseled me really for, for years uh, and didn't have to. I think that that's the first person that comes to mind that had such a great impact on the changes. And then I would say my first healer, I don't remember his last name, which I really would like to see him again. Um, his first name is Tom. So I'll send it out there. He's a massage. He was a massage therapist in New York city. Shiatsu. I know he was a professional ballerina. Yes. He, he, uh, you know, I was so walled and guarded and uh, angry. And I remember opening the, him opening the door to his studio and just being this beautiful light and so gentle. And he was so gentle with me. I had never experienced that. So, so it just had this incredible impact. So I think that I would write him. Wonderful. Before we go, is there anything else you wanted to share with the audience today? I just want to thank them for taking the time to listen to what I had to say and for thanking you to allow me to have a voice because I think I'm going to cry, but you know, I spent a lot of my life not having a voice. So thank you for empowering me today. Absolutely. Heather. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening to Knights of the revolutionary leader conversations of influence and change. Each show we bring you a guest of revolutionary influence, by living a life of nobility, courage, and authenticity. To meet other knights of the round table or to be a guest on this show, go to christyknights.com. Join us next week as we cross the bridge to meet the next knight to join the round table of revolutionary leaders of influence and change. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.